We are in the middle of a series called How To. And uh, look at your neighbor and say, How To. Yeah, How To. Because um, we realized, um, I don't know if you're like me, but every beginning of the year, I kind of set out some goals or some resolutions of what we want to do. And isn't it true that you and I would have a goal, but we don't always know how to achieve that goal. And so because of that, we're looking at like how to do certain things. So the week one of this series, we talked about how to uh, have a start the year off right, like how to have a good year. How, to, how do you have a, a good year? How do you get going? You know, and that's in week one. Week two, we talked about how to win in finances and win with our money. Um, you need to know this, that God wants you to win with your money. And your win and God's win might not always align. That's always what good to read the Bible and get some wisdom about what your money should be. But he wants you to win with money. Uh, week three, last week, we talked about how to overcome temptation. How many of y'all know that it's pretty interesting that you can give your life to Jesus, but still deal with a lot of issues from the enemy? You and I will be tempted. There's something about living in this world, and, and we're going to have to go through things, and there's going to be some ways that we're going to have to get through it. The last one we're going to talk about, um, or second to last one, we'll, we'll continue it next week, um, is we're going to talk about today how to respond. I've been honestly working on a doctorate level thesis for this for my entire life. I think I'm an expert in it now at this point, how to respond to failure. So that you're welcome. I'm, I'm going to be able to talk to you about failure because I got a lot of it in my life. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk to about it and see what God has to say about how to respond to it. So if you don't um, have your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screens. But um, if you do, you know, the Bible is an interesting book. We're going to be in Acts chapter 14. The book of Acts is, um, is you know, kind of short for Acts of the Apostles. It's really the the, the things that happened after Jesus' life, because the New Testament starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it goes to Acts. And so we're going to be in that part of the book called Acts, Acts 14. And in this part, um, Paul, there's two men that started um, what they called a, almost like a preaching tour. You know, he started preaching and starting churches and preaching around these different areas in different cities. And Paul and Barnabas were friends when they did that. And um, Paul was an uh, interesting person. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We celebrate Paul. Paul was not necessarily one of the 12 disciples, but he, he was a really, really big proponent of Jesus' ministry. In fact, when he um, first started out, he was a Pharisee, so he, he knew a lot of religious stuff. He was really, really religious, but didn't know Jesus, didn't believe in the God that we, we necessarily serve, but he was a religious guy, um, taught religious law, and then he had this moment on the road. They said the road to Damascus, where he was on a uh, a horse got knocked off the horse and had this moment with Jesus. It was incredible to read that story. But once he had this moment with Jesus, his whole life changed. And he started to preach about Jesus and the working power of Jesus and started really churches and wrote letters. And in Acts 14, you see this moment where Paul um, and Barnabas are starting the preaching tour. They start out in a city called Cyprus. And in Cyprus, there was um, a lot of Jews there, a lot of people who actually followed Jesus. So they were pretty easy. It's kind of like preaching to the choir a little bit. Like he went to an area where it was very, very religious. And so they, but it wasn't just religious from um, religious standpoints. It was, they followed Jesus. They were Jewish people. Then he went to, after that, he moved on to um, Antioch. And um, in Antioch, they had a little bit of a mixture. They had Jews and then they had Gentiles. And so he didn't do as well there in his preaching tour. So like half the people showed up and a lot of people didn't really um, care for him much, but he had some people who liked him. And at the end of the day, honestly, the, the only reason they left was that the city officials ran him out of the city because they were, they were kind of nervous about what Paul and Barnabas would be teaching about. Then the, the third city he goes to, he gets to a place called Iconium. And Iconium, um, he does really good there. In fact, he starts doing signs. They start doing signs and wonders, the Bible says. He does some miraculous things on behalf of Jesus. But then he hears of an assassination plot for him and Barnabas. And so you know what they do when somebody, when you hear somebody's trying to kill you, what do you, what do you, what do you think you'd be doing? 
Yeah, you run. Yeah, you run away. So they did the same thing. They ran. They literally ran out of the city and, um, and took off and went to a new city and ended up in a city called Lystra. And then Lystra is what we're going to learn about from Paul and Barnabas. How do you deal with when it comes to failure? Lystra is where we're going to be at. Uh, Acts chapter 14. So everybody say, I, I'm, I got you. Everybody say, I'm with you. All right. So you're with me. You know exactly what's going on. We're going to read it exactly how it's going to pick up. And verse 8 says, while they were there at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came up on a man with crippled feet. And he'd been at that way from birth, and so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking at him. Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. It's important that you and I come into a church. We look up to heaven. And you have worship moments. By the way, worship is not the appetizer to the course. We should be here early enough to catch worship. Worship tills the dirt in our heart, allows the seed to go in, allows this moment to be even more impactful to your life. When the word of God goes out and goes forth, it goes into some, some good dirt inside of your soul. And the Bible says that, that Paul saw this man's faith. I think there's something good about God seeing your faith, seeing what you believe for, combining your faith with his faithfulness to see a miracle. Something about that. So Paul sees his faith and calls out to him in a loud voice. He says, stand up. Everybody say, stand up. And we have to say that one more time. Like you got Red Bull in you. Come on, say, stand up. There you go. And the man jumped up to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw that Paul had done that, they shouted their local dialect. These, men's must, these men must be gods in human form. Such an interesting thing about humanity. The moment somebody does something good, we tend to deify them. The moment somebody does something interesting. Isn't that interesting how we do that in life? With celebrities and people, and we make them gods. And... Uh, Bible says in verse 14, it says, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothes in dismay and ran among the people shouting, friends, we're only, why are you doing this? We're merely humans just like you. We've come to bring you good news that you would turn from the worthless things that turn and turn to the living God, the true living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. That's your job and my job as Christians to point people to Jesus. And then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium. This is funny to me. This is where your past comes back to haunt you a little bit. Has that ever happened with you? You're out doing something, you're trying to move forward, your past shows up. And they won their crowds to their side and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town. Stoning as in through rocks. Not the other kind. Dragged him out of town thinking he was, he was dead. So let's summarize that for a minute. They did all the right things in all the right ways with all the right people and all the right time for all the right reasons and still bad things happen. I talk about a failure, right? And then verse 20 comes and this will be our key verse for today. It says, but as the believers gathered around him, he got up and he went back into town. And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. If you have your Notes, you're taking notes, which I highly encourage you to do, even if you're just writing them down and throwing them away. Write this down. The title of my message is How to Respond from Failure, How to Respond After Failure. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I thank you that you're with us today, God, and you have a word for us. I am not uh, ignorant to the fact that, Holy Spirit, you must, must, must breathe on this message. You must show up. 
you must be a part. You must be involved. I am not enough. My words are not enough. God, you have to show up in this place. And I pray I get out of the way. Help us to see what you want us to see today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody say Amen. 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 It's interesting that, that there is something unique about um, all of the human condition is that every one of us in here is going to fail. Every one of us in here has failed. Everyone in us in here will fail. And it's just a matter of time before it happens. One thing I love about the Bible, if you've never read it, it's a fascinating book. You should, because really it's a highlight and a nonstop um, like summary of most people and what they would do and what they shouldn't do in life. Like It gives nothing but the truth. It's, one thing I, it's why I really believe the Bible is true, is because if you were going to make up a religion, you would never write the book of the Bibles like they, they are written. You would leave out some things. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? There's some things you wouldn't put in there, but, but, but God is so good. He leaves stuff in the Bible for us to see from people that went through some things. So when we go through some things, we, we should know how to deal with it. And, and so for me, that so resonates with me because I do dumb things all the time. I'm going to give you an example. Um, this Christmas, amazing Christmas. We had a great Christmas. Anybody have a good Christmas this year? Just like for the first time you had a good Christmas. Okay, good. You had a good Christmas. We had a great Christmas this year. And our tradition in our family is on Christmas Eve, we, we open up um, the stockings. And then Christmas morning, we open up our presents. And so Christmas morning comes and all the boys are excited. But two weeks before that, I had saved up my money and, and budgeted out and planned to pay to get this really big gift for my wife. Now, what's funny about our relationship, we and marriage on Christmas time, we don't do that for each other. We actually buy um, kind of what we call combo gifts for the house. That's kind of how we do it. Like our gift to each other, we do that. Anybody else do that? Kind of like, hey, we're going to buy this thing for the house, whether it's furniture or something that we need for the house. And so we, we, we did that same thing this year. But this year, I wanted to surprise her and get her something just from me. And so I bought it and it was so big. I had to buy one of those big bags that you put like TV bags in. And I bought a big bag wrapped it tight. And I told her because I wanted to surprise her. I told her it was for the kids. It was a giant Lego set. And so she's like, oh, okay. So when I came in the house with this big box, she with this big bag covered up box, I go, oh, this is, this is, I got this for the kids. And she's like, oh, wonderful. We put it next to the tree. It stayed there until Christmas morning. Well, when Christmas morning comes and I told my kids, I said, kids, guess what that is? That's the final gift for you guys. It's a combined gift for you that y'all can open up at the very end of all of our presents. They're like, yay, everything's great. So my plan was to surprise my wife so that she could have a great big present. So come to Christmas morning, we open up all the presents and um, we, we get all to the end and my kids go, dad, what about our big Christmas present at the end? I was like, I know it's going to be good. And so we drag it out into the middle of the living room and all, I get all the boys around to get everybody gets the video cameras out. My wife's on the video camera or phone and we're like, all right, on the count of three, you're going to open it up. One, two, three. So they tear into it. They start opening it up and they get to the end. Everybody pulls the plastic off and all the wrapping and they look at it and they go, huh? And they look at us. It's not a Lego box. It's a different box. And I go, oh my gosh, I guess it's for my wife. <laughs> and my wife pulls the camera down. She's like, she screams, ah, you know, she starts crying. You know, she runs over to me. I get all the kisses. I'm loving life. All my family's high-fiving everybody. We're having the greatest time ever. And I look down at my five children and they're crying. 
They're legitimately crying. They're like, Dad, you, Dad, you was going to give us a gift. My five-year-old runs off screaming. My eight-year-old's in my grand, like my Grammy's arms like, oh, my gosh, my dad's so mean. My 12-year-old is off, you know, cursing God. My 15-year-olds my are on social media posting about how their dad's a terrible kid dad. You know, everybody's mad, you know, and I'm like, I didn't quite think that through. So, like, my wife's happy, but my kids hate me. And what's so funny is, is they still, to this day, still bring it up. They're like, Dad, do you remember that one time when you told us we got a gift, but we didn't? And I'm like, why don't you shut up? I gave you, like, 18 gifts before that one gift. Don't you remember that, you know? And so I'm like, makes me a bad dad. I'm not saying that's what you should do. In fact, this is what you shouldn't do as a father. How many of y'all know we, we make some dumb things? Can we, can we, does anybody have a failure in, as a dad? Anybody have a failure as a mom? Anybody have a failure as a, like a brother or a cousin or a son? Like we all fail. We all do something silly. And the funny thing is, is like that is life. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I feel like I did everything right. I mean, I probably could have done something a little bit better than telling my kids and tricking them. I didn't realize that at the end. But, like, it's such an interesting thing to me. I'll sit in front of parents, and maybe this is some of you, and maybe you're an empty nester, and you, you, you did raise your kids right. Like, you, you did. Like, read the Bible to them and pray over them and believe God for them. And you served your church and you gave at the church and you loved Jesus and you did all the things right. Like, you did do all that. But then they got older and they, they, they walked away from the, the Lord. And you look back and you're like, how did... So I preached in Iconium and I preached in Antioch and I... Come on, y'all. And I did all the right things and then this happened? Or, or you... You had a New Year's resolution to be, have like a greater marriage than you do right now? And you started being like the husband you're supposed to be, right? You started being the wife you're supposed to be. And then things got worse. We're talking about real life here. I've talked to people who joined the church and were like, join the church, your life's going to be great. You joined the church and your life got worse. Like, can we be real? Like, sometimes that stuff happens. Sometimes bad things happen. Happen. Sometimes failures happen. And, and if we don't see failure accurately, it will affect us negatively. Like how you see a failure moment in your life will dramatically determine what tends to happen in your life. Like dramatically. And what's, what's interesting is some great people who do great things for God can actually use failure in a positive way. It can actually be a valuable tool in their life. I read something interesting. It said that David Levy, a R&D guy at Apple, was told by his boss that he wanted no less than 80% failure rate in everything he attempted. Only then would he know that Levy was actually trying something worth doing. It could be that failure is not a result of you doing something bad. Failure maybe could be in your life a result of doing something great, but just didn't work out in that moment. Could be the result of you taking a step and a chance. I think sometimes we got to take a little more risk on behalf of God for our life to see great things show up. Why? Because failure is incredibly real. Failure is a big theme in the Bible, by the way, especially with some of the godly characters that you and I celebrate. I mean, think about it. Let's think about this for a minute. Let's just give you a couple of examples. Let's talk about David. Anybody, does anybody 
know David from the Bible? Just raise your hand. If you don't, that's no big deal. But if you know David from the Bible, okay, cool. If you don't know who David from the Bible is, David is the David, like the David and Goliath. You probably know, I've heard of like a David and Goliath story. You've heard that as like an illustration where David was the little shepherd boy and then he went out and defeated Goliath and he became this great king. Like we celebrate David. Even Christian, like weird people will quote things at us. Like David was a man after God's, come on, anybody know the end of that? God's own heart. And we're like celebrating David. And David wrote some of the Psalms. And you're like, David's amazing. He was a king of Israel. And he was like, amazing David. But he also took another man's wife. Oh, and by the way, he killed that man. Oh, and by the way, had kids with that lady. Like, he had some pretty big failure moments in his life that dramatically affected his line in the kingdom that he went up to be given. We celebrate Noah. Like, how many of y'all know Noah? Like, you don't even have to be a Christian to know Noah. Like, we do movies about Noah. And, like, we name our kids Noah. And, like, Noah's, like, amazing man of God. Like, heard from the Lord, saved his family, saved humanity, saved the little birds and chickens and alligators and frogs and horses. We wouldn't have animals without Noah. Thank God for Noah. The Bible says that the moment he does something good, he winds up becoming a drunk, lying naked in the public where his son has to come and cover him up while one son tries to ruin him. Come on, like that's, that's a fail. We celebrate Peter, one of the best disciples ever. Talking about change his name from Simon to Peter, like from reed and flowing in the wind to rock. Like, come on. Like, you a rock, Peter. You had moments with Jesus. You saw him with your own eyes. You witnessed miracles. You walked with the man. No one closer other than John who says he was his beloved, but John wrote that. So you kind of like a little, seemed like there might be a little bias. If I wrote that too, I'd be like, I was Jesus's favorite. <laughs> We're talking about an amazing man who wind up denying his savior not once, not twice, but three times. I, could you, I just want you to understand, like failure is a big deal in the Bible. And if you're a human, which I'm assuming most of you are, all are. You failed. You're going to fail. And you need to know how to respond to it. We, we need to know how to respond to it. I like what John Maxwell says. He says the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception and response to failure. Their perception and their response to failure. And if that's true, then I, I as a pastor... I want to give you today three ways to respond to your failure. Three ways. that What, what happens when you do something wrong? Because it's going to happen. Guys, come on. You're going to do something wrong this week with your woman, and it ain't going to be good. <laughs> Ladies, come on. There's going to be some place you're going to fall short with your guy. Parents, there's going to be some moment where you fail with your kids. Students, there's going to be some place where you fail with your parents. You got you to know, how do I get through it? Here's, here's number one. Here's number one. First way to respond to failure is how we do it. It's how we do it. This is so important. Please listen. Number one, surround yourself with spiritual family. Surround yourself with spiritual family. We're going to learn from Paul. 
today. Acts chapter 14, he says, but as the believers gathered around him, as the believers gathered around him, as the believers, there were believers that were there to gather around him once he had something bad happen to him. Isn't it interesting that the moment you and I fail, the natural human response is to turn inward and hide? Isn't that interesting? Isn't it true that when you and I go through something tough or rough or we have an issue, we have a problem, isn't it true? Like, let's be real. Isn't it true? The last thing you want to do is go be around people. No one celebrates a failure. You realize that. When's the last time you got on your smartphone? You started scrolling. Get a little TikTok. A little bit of that Twitter flow. You get on that Insta. You live in that Facebook life. And you're scrolling through. When's the last time you saw somebody celebrate something that went wrong in their life? We don't because when something bad happens, we hide. We don't want nobody to know what's really going on. When's the last time you somebody, saw somebody Facebook Live, a fight between them and their spouse? Hey, guys, living the blessed life over here. Check this out. We about to fight, y'all. I'm going to put my phone in the corner and it's going it's to be, it's get it on. No one posts the debt they acquired buying that cool car they posted about. No one posts the heartache and crying of a mother who has to deal with a prodigal son who walked away from the Lord. No one no one posts the failure of their job. No, one, no one's getting on Instagram Live talking about, just got fired. <laughs> Throw a heart up in there. Give me an emoji, thumbs up. No, we don't. Well, you want to know why? Because the moment we fail, we turn inward. We feel ashamed. We feel embarrassed. We feel fear. We feel sadness. We feel like we, we're the only one. And the lie is, that all you need is you. The Christian version of that, all I need is me and God. You ever hear anybody say that? It sounds super religious. It's like super, like, wow. Like, you almost, they say it in almost like a, like, a, wow. Just you and God, huh? That's all you need? Just you and God? Except it's not biblical. It's not Jesus-like. Let me ask you a question, just a hypothetical question in here. Jesus is walking around on this earth. Jesus is God, 100% God, 100% man. And yet he had people around him. So let's ask the question, did he need people? No, no, no. But he chose to walk with people. You see the example he's setting, even when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is translated as press. It was where they, the garden where they would press the olives to make olive oil. It was the place of pressing and pressure that Jesus would go to before he goes and dies for you and for me. And he does not go by just him and God. The Bible says he goes with people, with spiritual family, guys he walked with because he knew what was coming. And since he knew what was coming, he knew he would have to go through something tough and he wasn't going to go through it by himself. Can I say this with all the love in my heart? 
Some of us have chosen to be alone in the name of God, and it's inaccurate to the Bible. You're not more holy by saying, just me and God. Just, you know, just me and God. In the event of cabin pressure failure is what they say when you take a flight. In the event something happens, here's what you got to do. And I don't know about you, but some, there are some things that have hit me where I didn't have the energy to put my own mask on. Anybody else like, anybody ever gone through something where you, you didn't have the emotional energy, you didn't have the physical energy, you didn't have the mental aptitude, to, 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 you didn't think you were going to make it. Anybody ever have something like that happen to you? Come on, like, let's be real. Okay, isn't it true that there's something about somebody making the right phone call at the right time, meeting you at the right coffee shop at the right time, where God sent somebody in your life, and you could say, it's just me and God. No, no, God uses people. Come on. To reach people who need each other. And sometimes we get silly about this religious thing called the church and Christianity where we be like, oh, well, all I need is Jesus. You need Jesus and people. You need Jesus and people. And this is for those of us who might love to come into church living a life being unknown and unacknowledged. That's, you know what's really, because there's some people who are like introverted people, and they're like, I don't really people. You know, you have turned like a noun into a verb. I don't people. <laughs> y'all, y'all know who you are. And you love to be anonymous, and it works for you until you want to grow, or you go through crisis. Then it's terrible to be unknown. It's terrible to be alone. We need, come on, we need, we need people to be there for us. When, 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 when we're going through something in the event of what I call cabin pressure, please don't be the person that comes to church. Can I ask something on behalf of your pastor and your church? Please don't be the person that doesn't talk to anybody, doesn't know anybody, doesn't relate to anybody and then something bad happens to you and no one shows up and then you blame the church for it? Because that's happened. Yeah. Or I've had people go to the hospital, they come back, get mad at me and say, no one came and saw me. And I said, well, did you tell anybody when you were in the hospital? Well, no, you should just know. I, you need to realize that happens. And we forget, man, I didn't set up. This has to happen before I have something happen to me so that I can make, I can make it through. Number two is this. You need to have spiritual family around you. Number two is this. Paul, Paul did something I thought was so good. Might make some of us mad. I, I, I don't want it to, but, but, but I'm a daddy. I'm going to love you for a minute, okay? He, he, we got to get up. Yeah. Acts chapter 14, verse 20 says, but as the believers gathered around him, then, 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 then what? Then he got up. Everybody say, he got up. Yeah. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, he got up. Yeah. Come on, look at the other one that you didn't want to talk to. Say, he got up. Yeah, he got up. He, he did. He got up. He got up. He didn't stay. Listen to me. This is important. He didn't stay where he was. He got up to where he was going. He didn't stay where he was. He got up to where he was going. And my concern and fear is that some of us in the church who know better believe the lie that when something bad happens, when you have a failed moment, 
We believe the lie that it's going to plan and last forever. And it sounds like this. My husband will never change. There's no point in talking to him. You don't understand. He'll never change. He hasn't changed before. He ain't going to change now. He ain't going to change in the future. He'll never change. You think, you think that his failure moment is going to last forever. My, my, listen, I'm going to tell you, my, my kids are too lost. There's no way. He ain't coming back. I'm just telling you. They ain't no, he ain't no, he's told us. He doesn't believe in God. He ain't going to come back to the church. He's mad at me. He's mad at his father. He ain't coming back. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. My, and you, you live in that failure. You've accepted failure for your life. And you stayed where the failure moment happened. Or this is the best. I, I'm always going to be this way. Just who I, it's just who I am. It's just who I am. You sing it. You, it's, your, it's your life motto. You're like, you don't understand. It's just who I am. Like, you'll do something. And the, you know the Christian version of that? We're all on a journey. Like, you're mean to somebody. You're like, sorry, we're all on a journey. Like, that ain't like cover things. <laughs> like, it doesn't make it less hurtful. No, no, no. It's just who I am. You, all you're saying is you failed at something and you would like to, you would rather live in it than get better. And we, we do that all the time. Can we be honest? We do that. I do that. You do that. And we make failure not an event. We make it a person. Failure is an event. It's not a person. Right. And you begin to identify with your failure. There are some of us, we are victim driven and you are identified by what happened to you. Not one year ago, not three years ago, not five years, like something that happened 25 years ago. And you are still identified by that because what was an event has now become your identity, and you don't get up. You stay down. But my Bible says there's a season for everything. Yeah. Which means, you know what a season is? A season has a beginning. I know this is deep thoughts with Pastor Aaron today. <laughs> but the season also has an end. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that something bad didn't happen to you. I'm not saying that you weren't stoned. I'm not saying that you did, you did all the right things and something wrong happened. I'm not saying that you're, you're, you're in the, you were in the right and then something wrong happened to you. I'm just saying you got to get up. Yes, there's a time for mourning. Yes, there's a time for being sad. Yes, there's a time for crying. Yes, there's a time for, for having an issue and having a moment and having an issue and problems and issues. You got to work them out with somebody. And yes, there's a time. But at some point, I'm just telling you, at some point, you got to make a decision in your life. I'm done with that now. I got to get up. I got to get up. I had, um, when, before we launched this church, a myriad of things happened to my body physically. It was the wildest thing I'd ever seen. I'm like never, I mean, you guys see me, I'm the pinnacle of health. <laughs> it's a joke for some of you. You're like, this pastor is the most arrogant person. It's a joke, okay? Funny ha-ha, okay? Like, I had so much nonsense happened to my body, I lost my gallbladder before we actually planted the church. So I had to have surgery. It's the only surgery I've ever had in my life. I had to have my gallbladder removed. I remember I had my gallbladder removed, and um, in my post-op meeting with my doctor, he asked me, he goes, how are things going? I said, man, I'm just sore. I feel terrible. And he goes, well, tell me, like, what are you doing, you know, on a regular basis? Like, what do you do, you know? And I said, what do you mean what do I do? I just had surgery, bro. <laughs> what kind of question is that? Where would you get your doctor's license thing from? Like, where, where am I? I got mad at that. What do you mean what I do? Nothing. I had surgery. You cut me open. Thanks for nothing, you know? And he's like, 
No, like, what's your recovery like? What do you do during the day? Like, how much often do you get up? I go, never. I sit and I watch Netflix. It's amazing. And I eat. Food is amazing, you know? He's like, well, there's your problem. I said, what do you mean where's my problem? He goes, you you remember the pre-op instructions? I said, nobody listens to that. No one listens to that. All we care about in the pre-op is you fixing us. Just fix us, doc. Just fix us. Push the button, right? And he goes, well, let me remind you what you actually needed to do when you got out. The best thing you do is get up and move around. You got to get up out the bed and just, even if it's slow, you know, just be, you know, even if you got that little bit of that gangster lean, just, you know, just walk. Just, you know, just get up. Just move. Just shimmy a little bit. Do whatever you got to do. I'm not saying you got to run, but just move. And I'm like, oh. He goes, because when you move, when you get up, man, it allows your body and your, you know, your fluids to move and your muscles to move and your things to heal. It's, and he starts, to, you know, explaining all this stuff. He said, he said, so Aaron, get up. Get up. It just made me think about that. Like, man, can I just tell you right now, some of y'all hurt and you have pain emotionally and you have pain spiritually and you got some pain physically and you got some pain financially, and you got some pain, like, all of the least. Get up. It's time to get up. We've been making our bed in our mess far too long. It's time to get up. You're still hurting because you haven't got up. You're still in pain, not from the issue that happened. You're in pain because you stay there. You got to get up. Jesus had a moment with somebody. He, He was... It was interesting at the pool of Bethesda. He was looking in John chapter 5, and he was, he was looking at people, and he was watching people, and he, he sees this guy sitting on the side of this pool, and he asked this guy who, who had an issue with walking and moving, and his physical body was not right where he needed it to be. He was in some pain, and Jesus asked him this interesting question. He doesn't ask him, what about your pain? He doesn't ask him, what happened to you? He doesn't ask him how long it's been. He doesn't ask him who really made you feel offended. He doesn't ask him about your church hurt. He doesn't ask him about why you got into debt like that. He doesn't ask him why your kids are like that. He doesn't ask him the issues with your marriage. He just asks him, do you want to be healed? Like, do you hear the conviction of your pastor today? Do you want to be healed? And then he answers in the way that you and I always answer God. This is 21st century American Christianity. Uh, The sick man answered him, sir, no one's here to put me in the pool. It's not me. Someone else. When the water gets all stirred up and then when I'm trying to get in, other people run around me and they go in before I'm in the world so messed up and it's unfair and wah. And Jesus just asked him, do you want to be healed? Then get up. Get up. Take your bed. Start walking. I know you want to remind me of all the issues that you got. And all the people that wronged you, and no one amen this in the first service, by the way. Because all I'm doing is reminding you, I'm removing the crutch in your life. You got a spiritual crutch and a reason to blame and a victim to be, but you ain't a victim in the kingdom. 
We removed that. Sorry, I took that card from you. You can't say it anymore. You can't say, you know what happened to me? You can't say that anymore. You got to be able to say, look, I got a big God. Yes, that happened, but I got a big God who's asking me if I want to be healed. And all he's saying is, get up and take your bed and walk. Some of us just need to get up and and walk. Last one is this. Where do we walk to? Where do we walk to? If that's true, third way, we got to walk with vision toward our future. Walk with vision toward our future. Read verse 20. It says, so believers gathered around me, got up and went back into town. The next day, the next day, the next day, not next year, not, ne- not in 10 years, not after 25 years of mourning and sulking and pretending why, woe is me. The next day he left for Bar- with, with Barnabas for Derby. And then in verse 21 it says, Paul and Barnabas preached the good news the next day in Derby and won many disciples. Man, they have some vision up in their life saying, look, that happened to us. That was a terrible situation. Those last few cities, man, if I could plan it better, if I would have had it been different, sure. But it didn't happen that way. We had some big failures. We had some big issues. But guess what? I'm moving forward to my future where I got to be able to look towards the future so I don't continue to look in the past. And some of us are so stuck at looking what happened behind us that we have neglected what's happening in front of us. That you could be so blessed if you would just look at it. Here's the principle behind it. Where you look is where you go. Where you look is where you go. I'm currently teaching and training my teenage boys to drive a car. God help me. Please pray. I, I don't, I, I know the law says that they can drive when they're teenagers, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Isn't it true? I know teenagers, none of y'all are going to listen to this. I'm going to lose all the teenagers right now. I love you. But you don't know what you're doing. And giving my son a machine that can drive 80 miles an hour plus down a freeway when he don't know how to walk down the hallway without running into the wall. If you were an alien looking down on humans, you'd be like, that's dumb. Don't do that. That's dumb. That's dumb. But fine, we'll let Texas decide if they can drive. So I'm training them. And I said, son, he's driving. And he would look up and and I'm like, man, God, look ahead. Look ahead. Look where you're going because where you look is where you go. So the question you got to ask yourself, and I'm just saying, I'm not, maybe it's just me. How often do you look to that failure? How often does it pop in your head when you made that mistake? How often do you look at that moment when you got hurt? How often do you bring it up in your mind when you think about all the pain and somebody offended you, abused you, hurt you, neglected you? How often do you you wake up, oh, man, oh, man, oh, oh. Do you, have you noticed that the more you think about the past, it, the worse it gets? That's a scientific thing inside of the 
neurological community that if you keep thinking, it's like mental regurgitation of your thoughts of a pain that happened. It's like chow, a, a, a cow chewing cud. He, cows would eat, they'll eat, they'll, they'll put it in their stomach, they'll regurgitate it out, they'll chew it again, put it in their stomach, they'll regurgitate it out, they'll chew it again. That sounds nasty, right? It's gross, nasty. Well, every time they chew it up and they regurgitate it up, they bring acid, stomach acid back into their mouth and it gets worse. And then they do it again and it brings more acid back and it, it's worse. It's the same way with our thoughts because you and I remember those moments that were painful worse than they actually were. You know that, right? Why? Why is that? Because your mind is able to magnify what really hurt you and really brought pain into your life. I did a six-month study on brain development, anxiety and stuff like that. And if you keep looking at it, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't go this way if you're looking this way. And so Paul said, look, man, now I could go back and think about and relive my, some of you have let and allowed your abuser to continually abuse you. Your offender to a continually offend you. And you gave him permission to do it by just bringing it back up. Just bringing it back up. And God's saying, Stop, stop it, stop it. The past is the past. I got vision for my future. In fact, he says in Philippians chapter 3, it says, But I focused on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You know why Paul wrote that? It's because he had to do it. He had to do it. He's preaching to himself. He's saying, I got to move on from some of those failures because if I don't, I'm going to stay in my bed. I'm never going to get healed. And I'm going to blame everybody for my pain. When I'm just going to get up and I'm going to walk towards the vision for what God has for me. And I'll give you a thought on vision and I'm done. A vision is a combination of purpose, goals, and strategy. Purpose, goals, and strategy. If you, if you have, so let's talk about that. You need to have vision for your, your, your marriage. If you need to have a vision for your marriage, if you're going to have a vision for your marriage, you need to know what the purpose of your marriage is, the goals for your marriage, and have a strategy to accomplish it. You need to have a vision for your, uh, for your kids. Man, I need to know what it's like. to. I have to, I have to know what it means to be a parent. I'm going to have a purpose in my parenting. I'm going to have some goals in my parenting, and I'm going to have some strategy to move forward towards it. I, I need to have vision for my finances. I need to know what my purpose of finances are under God so that I can actually have some goals in my finances and some strategy to accomplish it. I need to have some like vision for my physical body. I'm tired of my body feeling the way that it is. My body has had so much issues in the past. I'm always sick. I'm always unhealthy. I'm always not able to do what I want to do. I don't look the way I want. I don't feel good. Man, I need to have a pur- I need to know what's the purpose of my body under God. I need to have some goals and how to, how to actually accomplish that and some strategy of how am I going to accomplish my goals. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We got to be able to move away from our past and start to walk because I got up. Yeah. And I'm going to walk towards the future that God has for me. I believe in my, with all of my heart that we do that. We can do some great things. I'm going to end with this story. Hopefully this will minister to you. At the age of seven, a young boy and his family were forced out of their home. Failure. The boy was forced to go to work. When the boy was nine, his mother suddenly died. Failure. 
Then he had to start a job as a store clerk, but lost it when he was 20. Failure. This young man was wanted to go to law school, but had no education. He went into massive debt when he was 23. Failure. And became a business partner in a small store. And it was only three years later that his business partner died and left him with the debt, the same debt that it took years for him to repay. Failure. He then started dating a girl, and after four years, at the age of 28, he decided to ask her to marry him. She said no. Failure. 37 years into his life, he was elected to Congress on his third try. So he failed his first try. He failed his second try. And then he got in. He tried to be reelected and failed at that. Then this man was a son of the age, uh, had a son at the age of four years old and his son died. Failure. At the age of 45, he ran for Senate and he failed to be elected. He, assist, he persisted in politics and ran for the vice presidency at age 47. And then he failed at that. And then towards the end of his life, at the age of 51, this man was elected president of the United States. His name, Abraham Lincoln. I just think, I just think if you don't know how to respond to failure, you're never going to get to where God wants you to get to. Failure is not a sin. It's an, it's a, it's an, attribution, an attribution of life. It's, hey, it could be that you tried something. But you need to have some spiritual family around you to get you through it. You need to get up. You need to walk with vision to where God has for you. That's my encouragement to you as a pastor. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I thank you that, God, failure does not define who we are. You define who we are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's because of you that we can do what we can do. It's because of you we have a vision for our life. And I pray that every time we come into your presence, we would get a renewed sense of your vision for our life. In Jesus' name.